Hi, this is Jeff Kober, and we welcome you to a special Disney at Work podcast. Most of our podcasts have been associated recently with Disney News on Parade on our Disney at Play podcast, but this one focuses on some, well, some good best in business practices we need to think about as we explore this latest news from the happiest place on earth. Last night, Disneyland announced that they will postpone reopening because of pending government approvals and, well, in truth, union goodwill. We'll look at not only the details behind this announcement, but here at Disney at Work, we're going to talk about the lessons we can learn about what we can and cannot control and influence. You'll want to make sure you check out our notes page, which will have um, uh, images, text, uh, links, and also a survey that we invite you to take um, to help us better understand how we can improve uh, our uh, media offerings to you. Going to the big announcement. Uh, we had previously announced through a number of Disney News on Parade uh, uh, podcasts a proposed phased reopening of the Disneyland parks. Um, and yet, uh, and we could, and we've also talked about the fact that there had been some tension and petitions put online, particularly out in California, about this. Um, this particular challenge of reopening the parks and how cast members have felt about it. Well, last night, Disneyland issued an announcement and I wanna go ahead and read that uh, for your benefit and then we'll go ahead and dissect it. Quote, we previously announced a proposed phased reopening of our theme parks for July 17th, pending government approvals. We developed enhanced health and safety protocols for both cast and guests at Shanghai Disney Resort, Hong Kong Disneyland Resort, and Walt Disney World Resort that have been approved, allowing us to reopen in a responsible manner and bring our cast members back to work. The state of California has now indicated that it will not issue theme park reopening guidelines until sometime after July 4th. Given the time required for us to bring thousands of cast members back to work and restart our business, we have no choice but to delay the reopening of our theme parks and resort hotels until we receive approval from government officials. Once we have clear understanding of when guidelines will be released, we expect to be able to communicate a reopening date. Our downtown Disney district will reopen on July 9th, as previously announced, with health and safety protocols in place for our cast members and guests. The opening of our downtown Disney district has been previously approved in line with restaurant and retail openings throughout California. The Master Services Union, which represents our retail cast at this location, previously signed an agreement for members to return to work. In order to reopen our theme parks, we need to negotiate agreements with our unions to return employees to work. We've had previous discussions and are very pleased to have signed agreements from 20 union affiliates, including our Master Services Council, which represents more than 11,000 of our cast members. 
The signed agreement details plans that include enhanced safety protocols that will allow us to responsibly reopen and get thousands of our cast members back to work. We thank our cast and guests for their patience during this unprecedented time while we await approval from government officials." End of quote. There's a number of things to unpack in there. By the way, if you're not familiar, there are about 35, north of 35,000 cast members that, that service the Walt Disney World Resort. So they've, they've gotten buy-in from a good percentage, but there's still a big chunk left to get buy-in from. And um, they are, of course, opening uh, downtown Disney. And, um, um, but they have stated that because the government hasn't given their requirements, which frankly, I don't think are going to be any different than anybody else's requirements. They're saying they are unable, um, to reopen in a responsible manner. So, um, that's an interesting notion. Um, um, to say that we have no choice but to delay. What is your choice in this scenario? That's part of what we're going to, to discuss. Also, I should mention in kind of giving the context of this, according to a Los Angeles Times um, article, a dozen unions that represent about 17,000 Disneyland employees were behind the letter sent to Governor uh, Gavin Newsom last week saying that because of the um, coronavirus, opening the park would be unsafe. Disney's Wednesday announcement alluded to the union apprehensions and said the company has reached accords that cover more than 11,000 of its workers. So you got 11,000 kind of behind you, theoretically. You got another 17,000 that apparently uh, are still uh, not in a really good place. And then you have the remainder out there in, in other smaller groups. Um, so in, uh, in addition, as additional context, um, Newsom's office, uh, expressed support for the delay. Um, remember we have talked about this, that there is a very, and I said this very much from the start that delaying the Walt Disney world reopening was somewhat tied to their efforts to reopen Disneyland, that they didn't want to create a political football, of one opening and one not. Unfortunately, that football has been kicked, but this is what the governor's office said, quote, the governor appreciates Disney's responsiveness to his concerns about reopening amid the recent increases in COVID-19 infections across Southern California counties. Note that he's saying, oh, uh, end of quote, spokesman Nathan Click said in a statement, quote, the state and our public health experts continue to be in contact with the company and their workers as well as other theme parks in the state as we track and combat the spread of the virus. I, I state that it's very important to note that they identified COVID-19 increases among Southern California counties. What they're really talking about is Orange County where Disneyland resides. Orange County is a strong conservative uh, uh, county and very different than the sensibilities that Governor Newsom is bringing. So there is this tension. And, and if you recall, I mentioned that the sheriff of 
um, Orange County in Southern California had said in so much in effect, we are not enforcing the mask restrictions. That's not our job. And so that is just the tip of an iceberg of a lot of conservative sentiment in Orange County that's saying, you can't tell us um, uh, that we have to wear masks and so forth. And the, inf the, the result of this uh, uh, appears to be that infections are, are now rising, or at least the report of infections. You can't really tell because it's really not, you know, is it a matter of just simply having more results back or is it truly a percentage we're not we're not really um uh doing any kind of random sampling and that's it's really random sampling that gives you an idea of what percentage of the population really does have this virus and that has not really been happening anyway long and short that's the whole context for what has gone on behind this announcement Let's now look at what is Disneyland's reality at this point. And to do this, and you're going to want to look at this um, model that I have on the show notes page, I have a set of three circles within each other. And the smallest circle in the middle is labeled as that circle of which we have control or influence over. And in this particular example, we're going to talk about what Disney is, Disneyland is in charge of. What it controls and what it influences is within that small circle. The next circle, or the middle circle, which is larger than the smaller circle, is labeled as a circle of influence, but also as a circle where you have no control. You are not able to control your circumstances, but you still have influence. And then the biggest circle, which encompasses the other two circles, is a circle where you have neither control nor influence. These three circles, which uh, Stephen R. Covey talks about in, in his, um, his works, um, are just, they're really uh, a message about what we control, what we manage, and what we're able to influence. Um, as a society, we often focus greater attention on who gets the final say, who's in charge, who is in control. Truth be told, leadership, real leadership in this life is not defined so much as being able to control something, but rather your ability to extend a larger circle of influence. The larger the influence circle, the greater a person, the greater an entity is as a leader. Therefore, when you go through great leaders who have really stood the test of time, I'm talking about Martin Luther King or Nelson Mandela or Mother Teresa or Mahatma Gandhi, um, these individuals are noted not for what they were in charge of because they weren't so much really in charge of something, although um, Nelson Mandela you know, was the head of South Africa, but it was long after he became a leader. Rather, it is about how they influence the lives of those around them and subsequently how they influence the lives of others beyond the relationships that they created. So when we look at this set of circles in light of Disneyland, let's go back through them and think about what uh, Disneyland controls what it doesn't control, what it influences, and what it has neither control or influence over. 
the first thing here is that Disneyland is, what is it that Disneyland controls? Disneyland does not control the choice to open, but it does control, and understand this very carefully, it controls the choice not to open. Disneyland could say, we're just never going to open our doors again. It has that control. But, um, and I think that's kind of important because long term, I think more people are going to want it to open than not open. So that is, that is a playing card. It still has in its pocket. And in fact, the choice to say we're not opening on the 17th is really playing that very card. It's saying, look, unless you put in place, California, your rules and requirements, we're not opening. Look, Union, unless you get behind us, we're not opening. And ultimately, that is going to impact um, the bottom line over time. May not in the next month or two impact the bottom line if everybody's receiving unemployment. But this whole unemployment giveaway is not going to be able to sustain itself over time. And people are eventually wanting to get back to work. So it does hold that card. The other card that it controls is its ability, its discipline, its responsibility to operate safely. It can say, these are the things we could do. It is a private enterprise. It can say to somebody walking in its gates, you must have a mask on. And that can, is enforceable within its gates because it is in charge of the behavior and what goes on once you are inside the gates of Disneyland. So those are the things that it does control. That's not a big circle as it relates to its ability to reopen right now, but it is a circle and it is important to recognize that. Now, um, I'm gonna go, to, I'm gonna move out to the outside circle. Let's, we talked about what Disneyland can control and influence. Let's now let let's now let's talk about what Disneyland can neither control nor influence. Disneyland can't control the virus. The spread of that virus, its mutations, how damaging and terrifying it might be, it really cannot control the larger spread of the virus globally. Um, it also really can't control the public sentiment toward that virus. I didn't say public sentiment toward Disney. I said public sentiment toward the virus itself. How Californians feel about wearing a mask or not wearing a mask, about opening things up, about social distancing, it can't control that. That is a, that is a bigger playground outside of Disney. And it has very, it really has little or no influence at all. They're really, it is outside of their control or influence. The other thing it really doesn't have much have any control or influence over is the politics around that virus. And unfortunately, we have entered into what I've heard somebody refer to as the mask wars. That is a political game in which some one part is saying, look for our public safety and for our health, you gotta socially distance, you gotta wear a mask, you gotta do these things or else we're all going to die or else everybody's gonna get ill, it's all gonna go terrible. And you got another side who's saying, you gotta be kidding me, you're inflating those numbers, you know, people aren't dying as much as you can, it's not, you know, people are dying in auto accidents and you're not t telling them to stay off the roads. They, and there's this whole set of viewpoints 
some very practical, very measured, very moderated, and others just off to the extremes on both ends. Disneyland can't control any of that. That is outside of its, its control or influence. What Disneyland does have influence over is that middle circle. And this is the thing that distinguishes the Martin Luther Kings and, and the Nelson Mandela's, because this is the circle in the middle that you don't have control, but you do have the ability to influence. Okay? What does Disney influence? Even though it doesn't have control, what does it have? What influence does it have? It does have the influence in the choice to reopen. It does have the ability to influence union and cast member support. It does have the ability to influence local and state government support. And it does have the ability to influence guest support, i.e. getting guests on board to doing the right and practical and safe things once it enters its parks. The question is, how big is that circle? How big is its circle of influence to, in the choice to reopen? I think it thought it had a bigger circle going for it, especially given that Orange County is pushing for reopening. But that said and done, it doesn't appear that circle is big enough. Even though, for instance, Bob Iger was apparently on an economic commission that the governor had for reopening the state. That's a great place to show up and to lend greater influence. But it doesn't seem to have gotten the governor's office to get the guidelines and to get those things in play to, to allow Disneyland to reopen. Um, union state support, cast member support, well, it seems to be missing some elements there. They need to do a better job of attending to getting cast members to support. Now, mind you, it has gotten cast members support. We talked about the 11,000 in the other union, and I believe that there are others within, outside of these two major um, groups that we've talked about. But that one union that controls the 17,000, they're not, they're apparently not getting the kind of influence they need to have on that union. And that's an interesting thing. You know, I don't take a pro or anti-union stance in the work I do with the clients I deal with. But the one thing I tell clients is if you want to deal effectively with the union, then show that you care more about the health, the safety, the concerns of your employees than your union does. If your union looks like they have to step in to be the voice of concern, of care, and safety for employees, you have lost a lot of influence and consequently some control. And I think that appears to be somewhat the situation here, is Disneyland needs to do a better job of garnishing the support of its cast to assure them that they're going to take care of them, that they're going to provide the safest environment possible, that they're going to make it possible for cast members to comfortably work with guests on a day-to-day -day basis. That is um, 
that is the missing opportunity for Disneyland right now. Now, there's an earlier lesson in this. This is not the first time Disneyland's been on this street corner where it can't get people to buy in to what it's trying to do. And in fact, this is a great opportunity to talk about a tale of two theme parks. If you happen to live in DC and have done so for some time, you may remember that the Walt Disney Company once made an effort to build a theme park on the outskirts of the Washington DC Beltway. When Disney first proposed the park, they thought, oh, everybody's gonna love this because wherever Disney goes to put in a park, everybody falls, everybody loves Disney, right? Everybody, where they see the numbers of people who come in from that area of the country down to Walt Disney World to visit. So surely they would love to have a theme park in their own backyard. Surely they're gonna love the economic um, output of, of having such a thing and bringing in more visitors into Washington, D.C. and so forth. Disney's America was a $650 million development, which doesn't seem like much anymore. Um, it was a more modest theme park project, mind you, but it was still a good sum investment that would celebrate America's heritage. And it had any number of attractions, which in fact, they were looking to move the Hall of Presidents. They were going to um, bring in an attraction that gave you the sense of flight and the advent of flight when Lindbergh and the Wright brothers took off and they soared through the skies. What would they call that ride? Oh yeah, soaring. And they had the idea of going on the adventures of Lewis and Clark. And, and oh, that sounds like a, a river's rapid ride, doesn't it? Well, anyway, you see, and a, a place where you could you could go out to a real farm and pet the animal. Well, that sounds like something at Disney's Animal Kingdom. But anyway, you see, they had all these ideas. And, um, and many citizens and neighbors were indeed excited for this project, which have, would have created 19,000 uh, jobs and about 47 million in annual revenue for the state. So what happened? Why isn't it there? Well, the project had active and vocal critics about against it, namely historians and environmentalists. The National Environmental Defense Fund led a coalition of 30 groups that opposed that project. Opposition also came from the Department of Interior and even the Sierra Club. This is just really bad. This is just really a bad situation. Fearing that the opposition would slow movement on the project, Peter Rummel, who was president of Disney Design Development Company at the time, noted, quote, despite our confidence that we would eventually win the necessary approvals, it has become clear that we could not say when the park would be able to open or even when we could break ground, end of quote. This was... This was incredibly disappointing. And in fact, Michael Eisner in his, um, in his uh, history speaks of Disney's America as the favorite project that he was hoping to see built. He was very excited about this project and was terribly disappointed when it didn't uh, materialize. However, they learned some important lessons. They learned that it was not about being in control per se. 
It was about being able to influence and get partners around you to help build out that influence to get you where you wanted to be. So when Disney embarked on creating Disney's Animal Kingdom, they knew they needed to get some of the most respected minds in zoological and animal studies or research to get behind them on this project. If they didn't get people on board to having this big zoo, for lack of a better term, they knew they were going to go down, end up in the same problem that they did with Disney's America. Judson Green, who at that time headed Walt Disney World, and um, Rick Bronji, who was Disney's first animal zoo expert to join Imagineering, uh, he was from the San Diego Zoo, uh, thought to recruit an advisory committee of leading zoological and conservation experts. For instance, uh, Roger Karras, president of the American Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. He became one of the members of this committee. Another member was Jane Goodall, who over the years had become a leader in championing uh, conservation and animal research in Africa. They went out and got the best of the best and brought them on board and said, look, this is our vision. This is what we think we could do. Will you get on board? Will you join our committee? Will you help give guidance and direction to the design of this park and how we ought to make this work so that we send the right messages out and, and we really create the best experience for not just the guests, but for the animal population that would live there, that it would help really improve our world. And the result of bringing these people on board early was that the park moved forward and opened um, with hardly any protest. There was a handful on, on the dedication day, but it was, uh, it, was, it was forgettable. And since then, honestly, it has become the most popular zoological experience in the world. And it's become the leader in animal conservation. Many of my clients have been, become zoos throughout um, North America. And let me tell you that a lot of the leadership in improving the zoological experience across the country, across the globe, has emanated out of Disney. Many of its leaders. And so the, the, the ability to influence and improve the conditions in the conservation is just that circle of influence has continued to widen for Disney because it got on, got people on board to begin with and, and got people uh, uh, excited and passionate um, about the work they're doing. By the way, on the notes page, you'll see a link um, that talks about Jane Goodall's uh, work with Disney over the years. In fact, I share an experience about a National Geographic article on the magical worlds of Walt Disney that caught my attention originally about Disney back in 1963. If you look at that National Geographic art magazine, it actually has an article about Walt Disney, multi-multi-spread article, one of the best ever written. And then behind it is actually, the first, I believe, the first article they ever did on Jane Goodall and her work with primates. So... It's fascinating. At any rate, the long and short of this is if Disneyland wants to succeed, it has got to do a better job of widening that circle of influence. 
It doesn't have this. And then you can see why Disney, when it went to Walt Disney World, wanted to have more control over um, its um, park and the entire resort operation. And that's why Reedy Creek Improvement District was born and it got the governmental, many of the governmental controls that it did is because they wanted greater control. But honestly, and it, and, and it also, because of its size and because it changed Central Florida forever, it has not only control, but incredible influence here in Florida. But at Disneyland out in California, it still needs, I mean, it's, it's a powerful park, it's the first, but it still has to do a ways to go to influence its own cast members to really create the kind of um, uh, um, buy-in that they need to really open and to get the buy-in of the state and so forth. Here's some things to consider about all this, because honestly, there are some souvenirs and they don't cost anything for you, but there are some souvenirs you need to take away from this experience. You need to ask about your own world and say, and, and ask yourself, what are areas of responsibility we have control over? How are we accountable for the success of those areas of responsibility? How can we effectively control others when we exercise little influence? Then ask yourself, what are areas we have no control over, but we do have influence? How could we better influence the outcomes of issues that impact us, but we have no final say in? Then ask yourself, what are areas we have neither control nor influence over? How can we put aside our concern and attention around those areas we do have control or influence? And in what ways could we better focus our time and energy and enlarging that circle of influence. Those questions are listed there as souvenirs for you to take back in your own world, personally, or in your own organization. Uh, whether you know, A lot of people are employees, but they don't feel like they have any control over what's going on. We'll rethink it because leadership is not about being in control. Leadership is about widening that circle of influence. What do you do to do that? So, Thank you for joining us for this um, podcast. Uh, hopefully we'll have better news as the uh, days to come. We will keep you abreast as big things happen in the uh, uh, return of these parks globally, especially Walt Disney World. Meanwhile, please go to our site and share your opinion. We want to know how we're doing at Disney at Work, Disney at Play, and our podcast, our YouTube channel anything and everything you can tell us if you do know that you are in for uh, a big uh, into a sweepstakes that uh, will offer you a whole bunch of prizes including a copy of Walt Disney Studios a lot to remember a copy of the Imagineering Field Guide to Magic Kingdom of the Walt Disney World a copy of my wonderful world of customer service at Disney book definitely check those out definitely subscribe um, and make sure that you are alerted to new podcasts because new podcasts are coming out every day. And in the words of Sinbad's Storybook Voyage, as you go about your own personal journey, remember, follow the compass of your heart. Have a good day. See you real soon.